Our second lesson is from Gospel of Matthew. It's printed here in your liturgy. I'll read it uh, now, and you can read along with me. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him and all the region along the Jordan And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. O God, open our ears that we would hear the gospel, and our eyes that we would see Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. John the Baptist is a character. Uh, You wouldn't have run toward him. I think most of us would have probably run away from him. He's in the wrong place, and he's doing weird things. He is the son of the priestly class. His father and mother were both of the priestly class. His mother's side descended from Aaron himself, first priest. He's supposed to be in Jerusalem. He's supposed to be in the temple. He's supposed to be following in the family business, so to speak, but he's not. Absolutely not. He is way out in the wilderness by the Jordan River. Conducting an itinerant ministry. You can hear the conversations around the family gatherings in Jerusalem. What is John doing? Will somebody go out there and find him and talk some sense into him? Man, he's unstable. He's bringing shame upon the family name. And then there's probably a couple of, God bless some cousins around the table. And they're like talking to each other. I think it's kind of cool. (laughs) Thank God for those people in your family, right? Um, The image of John baptizing in the wilderness by the Jordan River, the image of this son of the temple being out there would not have been lost on those who knew Israel's history. The Jordan was a place of historic significance for Israel. So was the wilderness. That image reminded God's people of a time and a place where God gave them a new beginning, where God intervened and gave a new beginning, much like we look to Advent season to remind us of the same thing about God, always about meeting us where we are, giving us new beginnings. John's choice of the Jordan for his ministry was in and of itself telling a story. Just like, as Caleb was talking about, this tells a story, right? Tells a story of this thin place this morning. Story that John was telling just by being where he was and what he was doing was the story that God was coming to meet God's people freshly to do a restart. Father Richard Rohr says that all organized religion, regardless of the faith tradition, often makes the same error 
and that they send a message that we must do the right things and do them well in order to earn God's love, which is exactly the opposite message of the gospel, which is the message that God's love comes to us first, meeting us wherever we are, flooding us with welcome and acceptance. And as we bask in God's love and take it in, we become those through whom God's love flows. And out of that dynamic experience of God's love flowing through us, we become people who love others as God loves us, and the rest takes care of itself. When John centers his ministry outside of Jerusalem and outside of the temple, he's saying, in effect, the temple with all of its human-made rules, add-ons, and its corruption had become an obstacle to knowing God and to knowing God's love for all people. It was time for a fresh start. God was once again starting over with God's people. John's message resonated, and people started traveling to hear him. And when they heard him, they wanted to surrender themselves to God in a repentance symbolized in baptism. In responding to John's message, those who had ears to hear were repenting of whatever they thought God was doing and opening themselves to hear about God afresh. The religious establishment was no more pleased with what John had to say and how he said it than they would be about Jesus who followed him. But for those who had ears to hear John's message, it was authentic and it was authoritative It had not been heard in a long time. And it was refreshing. Authenticity and authority speak for themselves. Caleb was mentioning uh, this um, woman who's now in her early 70s that we commissioned to, to play the piano and lead music along with some of her music students, Elsa Harris at Breakthrough Urban Ministries. I didn't know Caleb was going to talk about Elsa, but I had already planned on talking about Elsa. But it's not going to be a complete rerun of a few minutes ago. But um, those of you who were there can, I think, imagine what, I'm, um, what I mean. And I think if you weren't there, you can imagine what I mean in just a minute. Um, when she sat down to the keyboard, even on the mic check, and she played one chord of music. It was as if almost a century of Chicago gospel piano was in that one chord. I don't know how to describe it other than that. One chord, and I felt like a hundred years was right there in it. I felt as if Thomas Dorsey was not far away. He's the father of gospel music that started in Chicago, if you don't know who that is. Um, Elsa is, as they say, the real deal. There's authority and authenticity. No one needs to say that she's the real deal. No one needs to say there's authority and authenticity here because people just know it in their bones. That's what John the Baptist and his voice and his message must have been like. His presence and his words must have made people feel in their bones that he was a prophet. 
the voice of the prophet had not been heard for a long time. Like Jeremiah and Amos and Isaiah, his voice spoke and no one questioned whether it was God's voice or not. The people were hungry for a voice that could put them in touch with God in a refreshing way. Perhaps one of the reasons why John's message resonated as authentic is that he spent so much of his time talking about one who would come after him. In just a few verses here in the Matthew reading, it's not included in the reading that we just read. He says, you think this is good. There's somebody coming after me, and I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. I baptize you with water. He's going to baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit. John was not interested in his own success, his own fame. He certainly wasn't interested in wealth. His whole life is organized around getting people ready to meet someone of greater significance than himself, getting people ready for Jesus. Perhaps another reason that John's message rang through as authentic and authoritative is that it was so obviously not about propping up people in power. The wilderness out by the Jordan is so obviously not the halls of power. John is among the poor. Even his attire and what he ate was an identification with the poor. All of this made it clear that God's great renewal was beginning. And it was beginning not among those in power. In fact, those in power would have to repent of their view of God, who so conveniently in their mind existed to be a rubber stamp for the way they viewed the world. How about us today? John, John's message challenges us to repent before we meet Jesus. That's what Advent is all about. You know, I had to catch myself emotionally a minute ago, and I realized that, you know, something, you know, you learn when you study the Bible, but you forget sometimes um, the weight of it all. John's voice, one that spoke, and immediately people thought this is someone speaking for God, and an authenticity it didn't need to be pointed out it just was that voice had not been heard in a very long time in a very long time and incidentally that's why we put the communion at the center here um at, at, at our in our worship service and the action of the service rises to the climax of the service being communion and the sermon is part of the falling action and the service because on my best day and on Caleb's best day, uh, anybody else up here on their best day, we still are not the voice of authority of Christ in this table. John challenged us, us to repent before we meet Jesus. What do we need to repent of? 
What image of God do we need to surrender in order to meet God afresh in Jesus? So often we use God as an excuse to exclude others and congratulate ourselves. Do we need to repent of that attitude? Some of us do. So often we imagine that God is on our side rather than being ruthlessly self-critical and wondering if we're on God's side. During this season of Advent, may God soften our hearts and expand our imaginations that we might meet Jesus on Jesus' terms and let go of the Jesuses that we make in our own image. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.